The reason why I started disturbing the peace was because, like what I was saying earlier about about topics that people don't talk about, I wanted to kind of do a whole podcast on that kind of stuff. Welcome to the Social Fabric Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Splendori, and this week my guest is Rachel O'Neill. While Rachel works as a social media manager during the day, she also has her own podcast, Disturbing the Peace, and she writes for different publications, including Her.ie and The Irish Times. In this conversation, we discuss anything from Tinder to grief to social media to politics and mental health. Please subscribe and share. There are over 90 episodes in the archive, and if you could leave a review, it would be most helpful. The song choice in this podcast are shortened for rights reason. You can find the full songs on Social Fabric playlist on Spotify. Can I call you up a while it's on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days and we could talk a while. Just sit and talk a while. And so, long now since and, uh, so I'm here with Rachel O'Neill, far away from one another. And that's <laughs> way, unfortunately, unfortunately, at the moment we have to do everything over Zoom, but one of these days we'll meet again face to face. And tell you what I like to start, Rachel. I just read your article in the Irish Times. Ah, <laughs> if that's all right. And I tell it you, is, it is absolutely, yeah. No, yeah, an article in the Irish Times a couple of days ago, 19th of January, and. Um, there was a lot in that article. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on it, but it, it, what it really interests me, I mean, you're 25 years old, you said in, mm-hmm. the, in the article, and um, I'm just interested in the whole, um, the whole putting it out. Like, you know, you, you talk about the loss of your mom, it was quite recent, and sorry about that. And, no, thank you. Uh, and um, just tell me a bit, about why do you write that article, how you came about it? It's really funny. Um, it's like the exact same conversation I had with my dad recently. Um, it, I've always been really, really, really open. So I'm quite extroverted in general and I don't cope well. I, basically, the whole thing is I can't keep anything to myself. I'm like the worst secret keeper ever. Like if someone tells me gossip, it just I'm really bad at keeping it together. But I started writing about stuff years ago and I just found it a really good therapy. and when mom was going through the whole thing and we were kind of, you know, watching her, her, her die, it was like, I can't cope with this on my own. I'm very bad at reaching out to people, but if I put it out in the ether, it kind of feels like I can deal with it then. Like there was always a thing I had in my head, which I don't know where it came from, but it was just like, if it's out there, nobody can use it against me. So I always felt like if I just put out what was like what I was going through it might be easier for me to deal with it in the long run and it meant that maybe people would ask me less questions about it because people always knew that mum was sick particularly in the last two years but I hated dealing with the questions um so it was kind of this thing of if I put it out there people won't ask me but then the more open you are about it the more people are intrigued to talk to you about it so it was kind of like a double-edged sword in that regard I guess and that it doesn't make it easier to talk about it now because obviously as I say, it's, a, it's a very good article and um, it's funny you say it's like talking to your dad because for me <laughs> I, I have two teenage kids uh, well 19 and 16 and I'm going okay great I can't really talk to them I, because it's just the hardest thing but I can talk to you like if you were my daughter uh, which is great. Uh, the only no, reason I say that is because my dad literally last week when he read the, he's like, the article's really good, but do you, do you have to be so open? Do you get weird messages on the internet? And I couldn't like, I couldn't explain to him properly that I would get weird messages on the internet from men anyway, even if I didn't write the articles, like that's, he doesn't, he's not on social media, so he doesn't understand it at all. So mm. like, it's okay, dad, people are creepy regardless. Don't worry. But, but so tell me, because I love the idea the, of uh, writing. I do a lot of writing, not very, very little has been published, but I think the whole process of uh, especially pen to paper is extremely therapeutic and mm. uh, and i think it's a, it's a really it's a great way of being honest with oneself with one person mm. and was that part of the process was just it was kind of so when i initially started what happened was i used to be the editor of the college tribune in ucd which is one of the is one of the two student papers there 
And when I was editor, we needed something in the features thing, which I used to edit before that. And I was like, I don't know what I want to write about, but we need something. And then I realized that, you know, I have a parent who's terminally ill. I'm not alone in that regard because I was only 23 at the time or 22, I think. And I was like, if I write about this, it might, it might help people. So I put it in the, I put it in the Tribune um, and I got a, a decent reaction when I wrote about it. And then I was like, might as well send this to the Irish Times via the student hub. Um, and I did. And I just got a massive reaction. And then from then on, I was just like, this is not a subject that we enjoy talking about. Like I've said this before, like Ireland does death very well, like funerals, wakes, that, that whole thing around death. But actually talking about death when it comes to terminal illness or when it comes to when someone is dying, that's a lot more awkward and people don't really know how to talk to you about it or know how to talk to people about it. Because if someone was asking me how my mum was, they would automatically, some of them would automatically assume that they're going to make me upset. So they don't want to make me upset. So they're not going to ask, but then I'm not going to bring it up either because I don't want people to think that it's just the only thing I talk about or that I am the girl with the dying mother or dead mother and nothing else. So you're kind of, it's that balance of, fuck it, we need to talk about this kind of thing because mm. loads of people have lost parents in their early 20s, even younger. Like, And it's, mm. I'm not special, but I just figured that if we talk about it, it'd be better for a lot of people. Absolutely. No, I look at it. I know you say you're not special, but you you are in your own. <laughs> you are in your own. Look, at this. I, I, I lost my mom last year and I'm 52 mm. and it's still... It's still not right, you know. Uh, mm. But anyway, uh, let's start with your first song and then a couple other questions to ask you. Okay. Now, so I've got, I'm going to do these in reverse order. So the first one I have <laughs> is a song from when I was in the Gaelic when I was 14. Um, mm. This is a song, it's called Rome. It's uh, by Phoenix, the French band Phoenix. And uh, it's a song I associate with uh, two of my very, very good mates there, um, Lorna and Ian. And I don't really remember a time in my life in the summer when I wasn't as happy as when I was with them in the Gaelic. And whenever I uh, play this song, it because I don't play it too often, but I play it often enough that it always kind of brings me back there. And it just brings me back to being in Inishir in Galway, um, learning Irish and having the best crack with, with Lorna and Ian in particular. And uh, I still, and Ian, Ian is now in Brussels um, working for the EU, so I don't get to see him as often as I'd like to, and in particular. So it always reminds me of him, which I really, really enjoy because he was a big part of my, um, uh, my teenage years. So uh, it's, a big, it's a very special song for in that regard. Who's the boy like the most? Is teasing you with underage? Could he be waving from a tropical sunset? Static silhouette somehow? I've got to stay with uh, social media for a second, um, yes. because again, um, although I, I came to know about you through Tony Groves or the Eco Chamber, as I was saying, with the, with the live podcast you did, and I listened to a few of your podcasts, and we'll talk about it in a second, but you're quite active on, um, on social media, <laughs> and uh, we'll get to that later on. But the one thing, again, to go back to the article, you talk about Tinder, right? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I am absolutely baffled about it. Um, I actually wrote a play about Tinder, which I'm, I'm working on at the moment, finishing it. Nice. At the moment. Yeah, I'm, I've been, I've had a couple of people looking at it, so I need to, I'm, I'm just re-editing it. But I know nothing about it. Just all I okay. know is from people I spoke to. But what really baffles me is you're 25 and you're on twin mm-hmm. Tinder. And I don't under, tell me why. Why are you on um, Tinder? Why, why is all of you, why are you on Tinder? Why you are doing? we all on Tinder? Well, you're, you're young people. <laughs> So it's an interesting one. Um, so when I was, I had two back-to-back long-term relationships between the ages of 18 and 23, 22. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, whatever that, right. it was like four years, five years of relationship. So I wasn't on Tinder until I was, in, until I was in my early twenties. And I think it's just one of these things where it's just a bit, it's a bit harder to meet people than it was. Um, 
I remember a guy I used to work with, Tim, is in his, his early 40s, and he was like, um, why didn't you just go to a bar and, and meet a guy? I was just like, A, I would not go to a bar by myself as a woman on my own. Uh-uh, not going to happen. And two, no, absolutely not. Wow. <laughs> um, like, I've never been shy about talking to people, but I feel like it's a little bit easier to just go on Tinder, have a look around, see if you match with someone and then get the feel of them. So the amount of times that I've started conversations with lads or they've started conversations with me and they've said something or I've said something that has been like, no, this is not for either of us. And then we can just move on. Um, but then again, it's also, there's a double-edged sword again in that, in the sense that when you're there on like a Sunday or what, or like a fucking Tuesday as we are now, um, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not sure if we're supposed to swear, um, on a Tuesday, um, when we're in the middle of this, you know, lockdown, you're just kind of doing it there for like an ego boost almost of like, how many matches can I get? Do I know someone on this? Oh, that's him from Twitter. I used to go to school with him or I matched with the best friend of a guy I was seeing in September, which makes no sense. But anyway, so I feel like people kind of, some people use it to root out kind of people they don't want to be interested. They, they, they're not sure if they're interested in, but then I also feel like it's just kind of there for like quick hookups and stuff like that. Um, it's it's a it's a genuinely weird platform, and I'm still not quite sure if I like it or not. Even though I've been on and off it for the last like year and a half, maybe. Yeah, no, and that's fair enough. Uh, my curiosity, I suppose, is like your colleague Tim Tim that says, you know, why can't you not get out? Like, where, where do you guys not meet up anymore? Like, these, I don't know. I don't want to sound like an old fart. But no, I mean, not at all. We used to. So, we did an app dinner. We just went out. My, <laughs> and that wasn't that long ago. My set group of friends who I've known since I was in college, so I don't really have friends anymore from secondary school, um, but my set group of friends from college has not changed in six years. So we're all very much a, a group of like, I'd say 15 of us, tight-knit, don't really associate with other people, not associate with other people, but like we're quite closed off. Mm. And then I have other friends in like, say from the Tribune who I know, and then through other things in college, but we're all either in couples or kind of set, if you get me as a kind of a group. Perfect. So meeting new people is kind of a bit more challenging. So maybe if you're at like something like a festival or like a gig, maybe, or a podcast or that kind of thing, that maybe, but going out specifically to try and find somebody has never been something that I've been into. Um, I find it really hard, especially if I'm going, and also I just don't go out that much at night. I'm much more of a, a cans and a gaff kind of gal or like a <laughs> cans in the pub or not cans in the pub, but going out to the pub to meet my mates as opposed to like hitting the nightclubs. Like I've been to coppers once in my entire life, which I feel like is a bad thing for an Irish person. But anyway, well, I've never been, but I'm Italian. I get away with that. <laughs> <laughs> You're not missing out. <laughs> Okay, well, that kind of gives me an idea of why you're on the on the on the app. Okay, give me the next song, please. Next song is uh, called "How to Be Dead" by Snow Patrol. It's an old Snow Patrol song, and it's just a song about uh, drug use and a guy falling out with his girlfriend. And I don't know, I just re- it's really dark, but I really really like it. I love Snow Patrol, and I get a lot of slagging for it. Please don't go crazy if I tell you the truth No, you don't know what happened and you never will If you don't listen to me while I talk to the wall This blanket is freezing, it's been out in the hall Where you've had me for hours till I'm sure what I want Okay, well, look, can you just uh, tell me a little bit about, about your background, if you could, because you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, university, but uh, just to give me an idea. Oh, man, my, back, my background is, is a bit messy. Oh, not messy. Um, I'm originally from Kildare. So I grew up in Kildare um, in Straffan, which is where the K-Club was, which is where they hosted the Ryder Cup in 2006. And that's pretty much Straffan's only claim to fame. Um, and I went to school in Kildare. And then I actually went to secondary school in a place called the King's Hospital in Dublin. So I'm technically a private school privileged kid, um, even though KH was shit at rugby. But uh, so I went to secondary school there in Dublin and then I went to college in UCD and I studied neuroscience, which makes no sense because technically I now work in social media and advertising. So <laughs> I have no qualification for that. Um, but yeah. Well, and but you went very quick there. Hold on. From, <laughs> from there <laughs> to neuroscience. Give me a little bit more about your, uh, your background. I'm just curious about where people come from and what growing up and something. So yeah, so... I, 
be fair, like I grew up in Kildare and Kildare, um, while North Kildare is kind of slagged as being, you know, Dublin, which, you know, there's, there's arguments for and against. I kind of grew up in like this really idyllic kind of country road that has like, it's 80 kilometers an hour, but it's like potholes the size of like a couch. Like, do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's, mm-hmm. it's a totally broken road. And I grew up in a really close knit neighborhood in the sense that so there's like maybe I'd say 10 houses on the road and you'd have my next door neighbors who are basically my second family and then all the other neighbors down the road and we all grew up together because it was kids of various ages but all in around kind of within like six years of each other I'd say mm. and we were so close that we actually used to go skiing together <laughs> which is you'd have like a band of like 35 people going to like this tiny resort in Austria going skiing and everyone was like what the fuck is this um but neighbors became really really important because um when when mum was sick initially so that would have been 10 years ago it was the neighbors and family who came to look after and it was the same way up until she died so it was really funny when mum was in the hospital and she couldn't cook anymore they formed a little whatsapp group called the dinner ladies and they'd all have like a little rota of like who would bring the family food because they were like well they can't possibly cook in the middle of so um that neighborhood thing like it was really, really important because I don't know anyone else or I haven't come across people as many people in my, in my life who've had that really close relationship with their neighbors. And like, I was saying this to my housemate Jack today, uh, we've lived in this apartment uh, for just over a year. And only today I joined a WhatsApp group about the people living in the apartment to help people out during the coronavirus stuff. But it's just kind of mad that I, I don't know any of my neighbors and yet my neighbors are among some of my closest friends and have been since i was a very young like very young child i'd say mm. that's interesting because it, it, it's one of my hopes for this uh once this coronavirus it's all over hopefully very soon that mm. it will it will have brought together the communities a little bit more like exactly what you just said because i i'm, I'm the opposite i'm very social i just go out and talk to everybody but uh, <laughs> but uh no i know a lot of people don't know the next door neighbor okay that's interesting so then from there you decided where where, where did the neuro sorry neuroscience idea come from uh, so that was a really interesting kind of thing. So when I went to KH, I wanted to, I was really good at languages. So I did German and Spanish um, for my leaving as well as Irish and English. And then like the other ones like science and Irish shit at math, but that's not important. Um, <laughs> so what happened was I wanted to take a course in Trinity College called um, European Studies, which was a collection of like sociology, economics and languages. And I missed out by uh, about 15 points and my parents had been like, I wanted to do languages as a backup. So I wanted to have like Spanish and French or not, or whatever, like Spanish and Russian at one point with all that I was considering. And my parents were like, um, we'd be really afraid that you wouldn't get a job and we really want you to, to be able to, to work. Um, and I had also taken biology, physics and chemistry. So I put science down as a second choice in UCD and um, I got it, which I wasn't expecting and I wasn't exactly delighted with. But uh, uh, I took science then and I decided in my second year of that to specialize in neuroscience because the brain was always really, really fascinating to me. Um, And I had done a little bit of neuroscience when I was when I did the CTYI program in DCU as a really nerdy primary school kid. But um, (laughs) so, yeah, I was like, okay, neuroscience, like I I, mightn't be appropriate, but I always describe it as the most interesting pile of shite in a a pile of shite. I hated, Mm -hmm. hated science. Um, and I was going through a really bad mental health kind of depression through my first two years of college. So I figured if I got out with a neuroscience degree, it would, my mom always said, if you could do the neuroscience degree, even if you don't enjoy doing it, you at least have a degree under your belt and then you can go do whatever you want. So. Very good. So it's like, you like many others that get pushed by the CEO into a different yeah. course. And then well, obviously that's great. You're quite, you, you finished it anyway. You got the degree in the end. Mm. and I, it's really helpful it's a really fun thing to be able to drop at house parties because then people are like hi and they're like what did you do i'm like i'm rachel I'm, i have a degree in neuroscience so i can tell you loads about drugs if you want it's and a pretty just, handy kind of party trick <laughs> do they walk away do they no not at all they're like <laughs> tell me more in my first in my first week of my last job i got cornered by our developer glenn who was just like um, have you ever tried dmt and i was like no he goes have you studied dmt and i was like no well then we got into a really long conversation about lsd so he was happy so fair enough <laughs> okay give me a third song please third song uh dermot kennedy glory mm-hmm. uh, big dermot fan big dermot fan <laughs> why'd you pick dermot 
So I got into him last year and in six months he became my most listened to artist ever on Spotify, which was quite something. Um, and I just really, really enjoy his music and um, he's just very easy to listen to. And he seems like a nice dude as well. So. For all the moments never known, because he stepped off of the tallest sail. For all the love he left below in the waves. His peace would let him go Said some things he'd never dared to say The one the lighthouse left alone Never saved The set of eyes that pinned Became his version of a kingdom Now I know they'll never hunt Okay, so then we come to your podcast um, So, first of all, why did you decide to do a podcast? And tell us what it's all about It's called Disturbing the Peace it is. Tony Groves, host of the Echo Chamber, tweeted me one night. I had been slagging Tony for ages because um, we interacted on Twitter back and forth. And I was like, oh, give me a podcast. Come on, man. Give me a podcast. Give me a podcast as a joke. And then he invited me out for a pint and he sat me down. He was like, I want to give you a podcast. And I was like, wait, what? I wasn't <laughs> serious. Um, and he was like, OK, so what we had initially planned was we're going to do six episodes push them out into the ether and see how, see how, what the reaction is like, see how, how you, if you enjoy it, if I, excuse me, if I enjoyed it or not. And the reason why I started disturbing the peace was because like what I was saying earlier about, about topics that people don't talk about, I wanted to kind of do a whole podcast and that kind of stuff because there's loads of topics that like we just don't really confront as a society or we just, or what I describe them as the lesser discussed topics, I suppose. And, uh, I just was like, let's do this and see what it's like. And I had these six episodes planned out. And then I just kept coming up with more ideas. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And it's just, I've, we're over like 35 episodes now. We've done podcasts on like everything from, we did a big one on grief with Gavin Casey. That was a really good one. We've done loads on environmentalism. We did one on being single and being on Tinder with a guy called Eric. He was really, really good. Uh, we've done one on sex work with Kate McGrew, who's the head of uh, the sex workers at Sway, I can't remember what it stands for, but Sway. Yeah, Sex um, Works, Sex Works Work Association of Ireland. Yeah. Thank you very much. That one. Um, and we've just and Caroline West, who I know you've had on the pod, we had her on about porn and stuff. Like, so we just do a variety of stuff and put it out into the ether and let people like listen to it if they want to. And it's just a really fun thing to do. I really, really enjoy it. And I've met loads of really cool people as well, which is definitely. <laughs> And what, what is the plan? Because obviously, you know, we're all doing a podcast, which I think is great. Um, and I think it's a great way of communicating, putting out mm-hmm. ideas. And actually, as somebody said to me, uh, you know, recording history in a way and, you know, storytelling. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's part of, we're all part of it. But what, what is the plan then? What do you think you're going to, what would you like to do with it going forward? I don't know. It's a, it's a weird one. I I want to keep talking to people, so I want to keep covering topics that we're not talking about. So I've you know I've I've plans to cover more difficult topics around mental health, like schizophrenia is one that I want to do. I have somebody hopefully going to talk to me about that. Things that affect um, particularly women in reproductive health, so things like endometriosis, which is really hard to get a diagnosis for here. And people have been great. They've been very forthcoming with their own ideas as well. So I'm happy to just kind of use this as a platform to talk about things that are you know that don't. Mm get as much airtime as they should and eventually if that runs out that runs out and that's absolutely fine i don't have an agenda for it it's it's just there to let people kind of listen to and my whole thing is like if people learn something or if if people you know if it makes people laugh or cry or makes people feel like they're not alone in some way that's enough for me to be honest without sounding completely like egotistical and like (laughs) i don't know philosophical but yeah i just enjoy doing it and it's it's really really fun yeah, that's great. You know, and in fairness, I think I think we we all find that we're learning something, and by giving each other the time to to listen, and that's always been my thing. Is just listen a little bit more to one another, mm. and you'll be surprised what you. And then tell me something. What says? What's so far the one has really kind of surprised oh. you? And you know, you start because sometimes it starts off a conversation, and the next thing you're on to a completely different tangent. So it was really the, the one that stuck with me the most is the one that's helped me the most personally. That was the one I did with Gavin Casey. It's the longest one we did because I, I let him normally we keep them around 45 minutes, but that one went on for an hour and 10 because he had never really gone. He'd, he, he talked about the loss of his dad when he was 17 and it just really stuck with me and spoke with me. And it was the, he was the one who contacted me and said he wanted to do that part. And 
it was just a very important topic, I think, for both of us at the time. And it surprised me in the sense that, yes, it was, it was sad, but there were some really, really funny parts as well. And I think it was just a genuine, honest conversation about what grief is like and what, what to expect. And then there was another podcast I did, and it was with uh, Shauna Scott, and that was about um, losing your libido. And sh- that was so much fun. We had such a laugh doing it. And that was the one where, like, like what I found is that people love listening to people talk about either sex or Tinder or being single, like all that kind of stuff. People really, really love. There are some of the most popular episodes we've done. I must go and listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> give, us, uh, give us your next song, please, Rachel. Uh, next song is, this is a song, I've, uh, it's an old song, but it's The Edge of Seventeen by Stevie Nicks. And I know it's an old song, but I only discovered it last year because I'm an idiot and I never listened to Fleetwood Mac as a child. So, And this is a Stevie Nicks track, is it? Yes, it's, a, it's what they sampled for uh, uh, Bootylicious by Destiny's Child. <laughs> Let's. Um, you mentioned a couple of times uh, mental health and depression. Uh, you said that in your in your article as well. Yeah. Uh, I just, I'm just curious because I, I spoke to a lot of people about mental health, uh, and and it's, a, it's something that I'm. I I I did a whole thing about it. Or a live podcast. I did a whole thing about. Uh, do we really need another guru? I'm just confused about the whole mental health thing. There's a lot of really good stuff going on online, and but from your point of view, what what is what is mental health for you and what, what do you see out there that is helpful is this noise just give me an idea it's really hard because i do agree with you in the sense that i don't believe we need more gurus on mental health what i have always found um like i'm very open about my mental health so i've had anxiety and depression for uh, depression less so but anxiety for as long as i can remember depression kind of set in in my teens um, and there's a history of depression in my family so it kind of makes sense but um Mental health to me has always been about being able to function and then being able to be happy are two different things for me. So if I'm depressed and anxious, if I can still function, that's okay. But if I'm happy in the sense that I am content enough with what's going on and I don't feel the need to kind of, I don't know, because I, I use medication and I've used medication for the last two years and I, I'm in therapy. Um, and I use those as kind of a, not crutches, that's the wrong way to describe it, but I feel like me being happy and me being happy and functional will be when I can come off meds and stop going to therapy or at least look after myself in a way that doesn't require the medication, I suppose. The therapy thing is healthy in general, but I, I do think that if I could be okay off medication, that would be a good thing because I have no problem with medication. I think it's, it is a really, really powerful tool to help people with depression and anxiety and stuff like that um but the side effects that i found from my own medication and the effect that it's had on me as as a person i've really struggled to reconcile and i think i will be mentally okay myself when i'm no longer on that medication when i no longer need that medication to kind of get out of bed i guess okay no that's interesting and in terms of what um this type of support that is out there because mm. i recently spoke to dave o'connor he's he's very uh he's a lovely man and he, he's had mental health issues for a long time and he's very outspoken i think he's very good at what he does he, he has his own little uh, podcast called uh, i sprained my mental health and <laughs> so it's brilliant because it's all related to sports as well but it's it's just really interesting he does this little short maybe 15 minutes talking about but what what kind of support? I mean, it is the fact that we're talking a lot about it good, bad, better, indifferent? I think, no, I think the fact that how open people are is a really, really good thing, definitely. Um, what I struggle with sometimes is the fact that we talk about mental health as if it's just anxiety and depression, and we don't talk about the other conditions like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or personality disorders because they're more difficult to understand they're more difficult to wrap your head around and they're less easy to sympathize with and i feel like 
a lot of the mental health stuff is around depression and anxiety, which are horrible things, and I have both of them. But there's not enough support for people who who have really debilitating or really hard mental health conditions or mental illnesses. And I struggle with that because, like, you feel like the mental health system in, in this country is not great. I had to go private because I don't think I would have held on long enough to get seen to uh, in a public system. And I was privileged enough to be able to, to, to go private. But for the people out there who are waiting for diagnoses or waiting for proper treatment, like, it's insane. Like, like you think about the thing with dual diagnosis, you know, that's a whole black gray area now because either the, me- the mental health wants you to come off the substance before they'll deal with your problems, but then the alcoholism wants you to deal with your, their, sorry, the addiction services want you to deal with your problems before you, you, you deal with it. Like, it's, it's a nightmare. Like, and those, I really struggle with that. And I don't think that gets enough attention, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, because depression rates and anxiety rates and suicide rates in Ireland are really, really, really high. But there's this whole thing where we are like, oh, we'll just throw money at the problem with the health service. And that isn't really fixing the problem at all. Yeah, no, it, that's, that seems to be the, the narrative I hear every time I speak to somebody about it. It seems to be... Um, to be clear, though, I, I do think that people talking about it is, is a really good thing. What I would be wary of is people then either self-diagnosing um richie sadler wrote a really really good piece about this in the irish times about a year ago um either self-diagnosing or people kind of i don't know i'm always afraid that i like that um i use my depression to not want to get better um and i don't think there are people out there that do but i think it's a really easy trap to fall into yourself when you're like well i'm depressed so i'll never be happy so it's fine and you can kind of continue in those destructive habits without kind of intervention so you'd be wary about people kind of self-diagnosing and then leaving it be i don't know how common that is but it's just something i'm kind of seeing on on twitter and social media kind of prevalently and then people also using their mental health to act like dicks to people is a problem for me as well. Like I try really hard not to be a dick, but sometimes the depression and the anxiety do get in the way of that, but I would never blame them because I don't like to use my, to, I don't like to use that as an excuse, I guess. Just to go back to this um, intergener- intergenerational conversation. Because, <laughs> go on. <laughs> no, because I'm, I'm throwing myself back at 25, 20, whatever, 25 years ago, your age, there was never a talk like in, 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 me and my mates and all my friends. There was never a talk on mental health. None of us talked about it. Mm. I am sure some of us had issues, but none of us talked about it. Uh, when you're going out with your friends, your you mentioned your your college friends, you know, closely knit group of people. Mm. Is 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 that something you talk about when you're sitting around having a pint, or is something that is more one on one? Uh, so it depends. We used to talk about it a lot more, but now we're also used to each other and used to each other's kind of diagnoses because there's, like, there's, there's bipolar disorder in the group. There's there's depression, there's anxiety, and there's various kind of ranges mm. of that. So we would talk about it maybe one-on-one, like those who are particularly close to certain people in the group would, like my best mate and I would talk about um, my own problems with depression and anxiety and her problems as well. Um, she's actually very mentally healthy in fairness to her, so she puts up a lot of shit for me. But it will be a thing where we talk one-on-one about our own personal problems or maybe in small groups, maybe. Particularly uh, my group of female friends would do that. Um, but it kind of comes up now and again, but not in a kind of a not in a kind of a way of like if we're all at a gaff party and we're all being like, hey, what kind of symptoms of depression you've been feeling this week? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> that kind of thing, no. Um, no, no, I didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> no, and I don't, but I do get what you mean because I remember my mom telling, my mom and my grandmother actually being like, no one talked about mental health when we were younger and it wasn't a good thing. So I think, I think we're, we're, we've kind of swung really far the other way and I think it will come back to a, like a good level, not a good level, um, a, a more like, level level that makes sense yeah 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 the pendulum yeah yeah i but um yeah i think we're also still learning a load of stuff about that Mm. kind of about dealing with it as well and i think particularly when the system is so bad here people have no option other than to kind of shout into the void shout into the internet and Mm. kind of look for support among among people as well particularly like this might be a slight tangent but um trans healthcare in this country is appalling and the amount of, of, of people I've seen who, who just go to each other for support who, cause you know, they can relate to the experience. And if you can't get the proper support that you're not proper support, but like the professional support that you need, the next best thing is people who've gone through the same experience. So I can see why people are, are shouting about it more and looking for help more on the internet because the services just aren't there to kind of help them when they need it. 
okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. And uh, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure, no, no, it's very important. And I'm, as a father and uh, middle-aged man, I'm very concerned about the whole thing. But uh, mm. um, I, I've always, prevention better than the cure for me has always been the, the way. Mm. But again, I know it's not as easy. I know it's not as easy as uh, as it might sound, but so okay. Well, let's give me the next song and see what have we got there to cheer My us up. My favorite song that I get completely slagged over um, is "Mr. Brightside" by The Killers. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, brilliant. My favorite song. It's I get a lot of slagging for that. No, it's been picked a few times actually. Um, <laughs> why? Why do you like that? Just, just, just a happy uh, song. I just, it's just a happy song, and it's just something I associate a lot with my teenage years. Because when it used to come on, like teenage just goes, everyone would like start screaming the lyrics, and it's just something that I really associate with like a good time, which I really enjoy. So. radicalized by Sonic Groves. Tell me about your <laughs> tell me about your um, your view on politics and I tell you why. I tell you why okay. I'm interested because I just um, I just listened to a podcast with uh, Mary Robinson with Jarlath mm-hmm. Regan, the Irishman abroad and I didn't know enough about Mary Robinson. Obviously she was the president, etc etc. She's a formidable woman, I mm. think. And and one of the things she says she's listened a lot to young people. That's yeah. her thing at the moment, you know, about uh, uh, especially to do with the environment. She said the only way to, to get over the environment is to listen to young people and see what they have to say. Yeah. So for that very reason, I'd like to know what you think of the politics at the moment. Oh, it's a really weird time, isn't it? Because we're also in the midst of something unprecedented in the sense that we've never seen the government have to act like this in, in before. So um, obviously the election just gone. I... I have a very simple motto, which is fuck Fianna Gael and fuck Fianna Fáil, um, because they have screwed over my generation. Um, we're now the most indebted generation ever um, in the history of in the history of, of the human race, essentially. And that's why we've gone more radical. Like everyone was wondering why Sinn Féin are, are so popular now. It's like, oh, the young people, they've forgotten about the troubles. Like we haven't forgotten about the troubles. But... Mm. They had the best policy on housing. They had the best policy on health. And they represent something that maybe we need, which is they want to do something different because we've gone back and forth in this country for years between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, propped up by various different um, things like the Greens or the Progressive Democrats or the Democratic Left or whatever. And it hasn't done it hasn't done a lot really like you look at that you look at the lack of funding in the in the in the third level education system you look at what's been done to the health service you look at what's been done to the housing market like suddenly like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael were there going a rent freeze is unconstitutional and what do we have now a rent freeze for 12 months because suddenly people can't pay their mortgage and I'm not against the rent freeze I'm not against it at all but why couldn't you have a rent freeze and ban evictions when people before 10,000 people ended up homeless on on the streets and why couldn't we have these radical measures now like why did we have to wait until an actual pandemic like we had to wait for a pandemic to show up how weak our economy is really and how weak capitalism is as a whole and that's not good enough I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to buy a house I might be able to buy a house because my mum died early and that's a really really grim thought but most people aren't in that situation and that's my view on it and I wasn't radicalized by Tony Groves. I was a little bit. I was a little bit. But I just having existed, having, you know, my dad got married when he was, I think he was 24. And they had their first house by the time they were 26. And um, I'm 25. I've been renting for two years. I'll probably be renting for a lot longer. And uh, there's no sign of a house in the horizon for me. And I think when you've created a, a wealth-based system that's so invested in, in housing, um, and then you don't build housing, public housing, you're screwing over so many people. And that's what happens. And people will will, will bite back, I think. 
Yeah, no, it, there's there's a lot of data, right? And uh, what I'm interested as well because you you spoke to um, you spoke to a young fella, the tw- only 21, and he's uh, he's going for Tay Dunley. Tay Dunley, like, and it's it's fascinating because between him and um, uh, Sergio McHugh, McHugh, yeah. am I right? See, Sergio McHugh yeah. from uh, from uh, Ackle, and I don't think she got elected, did she? No, she didn't. No, no. she didn't. From the Green Party, but mm. and she's quite young. I don't know what age she is, but she's a young she's a young woman. And um, is 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 there more of you? And I say you, as in your generation, <laughs> getting into politics more than because I think there was an apathy for the last I don't know twenty years. Mm. Politics. I came over here when uh, uh, the Fianna Fáil guy was in charge. Charlie Charlie Hawhey was Charlie Hawhey. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've seen uh, a lot of transformation. I've, oh, I've seen the whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I think there was a huge apathy over the last number of years we just yeah. got used to ah yeah we're going to be rich and is it more of you getting involved in politics or do, do you think- know what i don't think this is a really really simplistic take but i think the two referendums that we've had on marriage equality and the eighth amendment have galvanized a lot of people first of all you've got a lot more young people now registered to vote which is a huge thing and then what's beautiful about a referendum right is that you can enact change you are it's a yes or a no and that change will be implemented your vote matters when it came down to elections previously, I think it was like, well, what's the point? Because Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael are going to get in or that kind of regard. It's much harder to see the impact of your vote through proportional representation than through a referendum. And what I think the referendums did, a referenda, referendi, I don't know, whatever they did was register a lot of young people to vote and get people involved in politics and be like, I can change something if I want to get involved. Um, and then you have people like, like you said, like Tate Donnelly and Rob O'Donnell. Like, it's, particularly, there's a lot of young Greens who are like really like fired up because they feel like they're like, this is my time. And it's particularly around the environment, but they're like, this is my time. To, if I want to do something, I might as well go out and do it. And I think that's a really good thing. Like you see, you see young people getting involved in everything. Like they've been in like all the protests and anything on college campuses generally. Like, like people are interested. People want to make a change. And when you get these reports that, you know, the environment is on fire, you kind of want to get, <laughs> get involved and do something as well. Um, and I know from, like, I've always been politically, like, engaged, but, like, from renting and stuff like that, you really want to, you really want to know what your vote can do and, and how your vote can affect policy, particularly in terms of health and housing, I think, as we saw in the last election. Very good. Good to hear. <laughs> No, no, it's important. So give us your second last song, please, Rachel. Second last song is a song that my mother introduced me to because we used to go around France listening to this album, which was The Joshua Tree. And so With or Without You by U2 is probably one of my favourite songs ever. See the stone set in your eyes See the thorn twist in your side I'll wait for you Light of hand and twist of fate On a bed of nails she makes me wait And I wait without you Okay, tell me what the last thing I want to ask you about it is the social media. Social media. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I tell you again, why because it... Uh, yeah, you're, you're quite active on Twitter and... and, and but, true. <laughs> but let me understand the, the relationship with social media because um, you put an awful lot of personal stuff on it. Like, again, mm-hmm. when your mum passed away, that's the first time I heard it was on Twitter. I don't know you personally, but I, and, and it was very touching to, to see it. But then in my mm-hmm. head, I was thinking, i just gone through it uh, just a year before, exactly a year yeah. before. And that was the last thing in my mind. It was yeah. to put something online. And again, oh, we're, lo- we're talking about a quarter of a century in difference here. So tell no, me. No, but it, okay. So let's let's before I, I want before I get into this, I want to say that I probably do have a mild to medium term addiction to I would say Twitter in particular. Okay. Um, so I wouldn't have the healthiest relationship with it. I would say, but what I found was when Mum got sick, and I was struggling with it, I just started. I've always been, I'm a really, really open person, like really open, like I'm pretty much an open book and I've always been like that. So in secondary school, before I was introduced to like Twitter or Instagram, I was like, "Eh, like I tell anyone anything. (laughs) So 
that's just kind of my, my personality. And then I got Twitter in, so I'll be on a decade on with this June. So in June, 2010, and I would have been in my third year of secondary school. And I just loved it because it was like, oh, you can say anything and blah, 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 you can put it into the world and you people might react to it or whatever. Um, so that kind of built up and I had it there for a while. Um, and I didn't have that many followers, like it, it was grand. And then I started working the Daily Edge and I started writing and I started being really, 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 really open, um, particularly about mum. And I got a lot of support. I got a lot of support from loads of different people from across Irish Twitter and beyond as well. And that made me feel like I wasn't alone. And it made me feel like there was something there for me. If I, if I couldn't cope, there was somebody I could go to. And also I wanted to normalize the, the whole thing as well about like having the parent who's ill or like being depressed or being anxious or my particular hobby horse at the moment, which is not having a libido. Um, and <laughs> I really enjoy making people laugh. And I just think that if you're honest and if you're okay with sharing that much about you and not everyone is, I totally appreciate that. I just, I love the reaction I get out of people. And also it's really addictive. So I have like now over 3000 followers and I know if I put something out there, I'll get a reaction from somebody. And that's quite an addictive feeling as well, which is why I'm kind of wary about it. Like I spend a lot of my time on Twitter. I spend too much of my time on Twitter, but I also work in social media. So I would say that because I'm, I, I would say nearly, a, I'm a social media manager and I have a good bit of experience in copywriting for digital in particular. Like Twitter taught me how to write in short, succinct kind of paragraphs and sentences and that's really served me really well in my career so far so it's kind of there are ups and downs to it also without Twitter I wouldn't have had a career as a writer um I wouldn't have been able to to meet the people I I, I met to be able to pitch um it wouldn't give me the confidence to pitch um and I've met loads like one of my best mates I've met through the internet who's Anya O'Connell and I've met loads of good people I've met on the internet, like Michael Fry, uh, Nicholas, like there's loads of people who I've ended up meeting in real life and becoming friends with through the platform. Um, but yeah, I'm probably a bit too personal sometimes on it, which is kind of... <laughs> no, 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 it, look, it, it's great. I love to hear why, because it, I mean, obviously there's a lovely positive spin to it, which I, I only use it for to promote this podcast. The rest yeah. is really, And I know what you're saying about getting the, that external... Uh, gratification because it's important. Yeah. You get, you get, oh, I don't know, whatever tweets and uh, retweets, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you know, likes or whatever they call. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> no, but that's interesting. And then there's, there's always that dark side. I remember reading the horrible thing that just after your your thing about, I think I think pretty sure you wrote something about your mom that once she passed away, and then some weirdo came. Oh, he no. Okay, yeah. So what happened was I yeah, mom mom died, and I had, to, to go back to your question, actually, yeah. which I didn't, I didn't address it when you said it. I held off. My parents were always very wary of how much I put out on social media. So mm. when mom passed, dad was like. Don't put anything up until everyone's been told, which I totally got. Hmm. Um, so I waited until my auntie actually ended up putting up an Instagram. So I was like, it's grand. But um, at that point, I was like, people, I, I had been chron chronicling the journey with mum. And it only felt right that I would let people know because there's a lot of people on, on Twitter who, who not care about me is kind of a, is a strong way of putting it, but who, who, who would want to know. And it's much easier to just put it out there and be like, this has happened than individually messaging people. Like, hmm. um. And also, I just, I think it's a nice, yeah, it was a nice way of, of saying goodbye to her. Um, but to get back to what you were asking me, yes, that guy was a really weird guy who was a bit of a creep, uh, who's a known predator, I think, anyway. Um, but to explain to people who didn't know, he, um, I had put up that moment died. I was getting a lot of like messages and DMs and he came into my DMs and was like, uh, tried to basically like hit on me. It was, uh, told me I was... Uh, told me I was really, really good looking and that I got my good looks from my mother. And I was like, my mom was dead like about 36 hours. Like it wasn't great. But um, yeah, it was and, horrendous. And I mean, that's not the first, I, I'm like someone called me um, the C word because I, I tweeted an opinion that Joe Marler, the English rugby player, did, shouldn't have grabbed Alan Wynne Jones, the Welsh rugby player, by the balls. And some man told me to bleed on my tampon. And then people called me the C word. People have called me. Uh, loads of stuff for voicing opinions and like that that's just one of the things you get used to and I have not by in any way got the worst but there are women on the internet who've gotten it way worse than I have but that's just a thing 
I'm, I'm used to it now. I, when I wrote articles for her.ie about abortion, I got loads of hate. And the best piece of commentary that I ever got was, you are a tramp of the lowest order, which has made me laugh so much. And then anything after that is just kind of hilarious. And I don't mind it anymore. Like if something is very personal, it'll upset me. But if someone's just calling me the C word, I'm just like, okay, <laughs> go for it. Like, Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, listen, I always ask everybody for uh, what I like to call them uh, words of wisdom, but effectively a quote, anything that gets you up in the morning. My mum, I remember stress, my mum used to have a column in the Evening Herald and she, I was always fascinated because I was like, where, where, where do you get the ideas? And she was just like, Rachel, there's always something to write about. And honestly, that's kept me, that's kept me going uh, throughout my entire writing career so far, which is limited, but I've always found there's always something to write about. Um, so you should write about it. Fantastic. Well, that's a, that's a great way to finish it and give us your last song. Last song is by an Irish instrumental band who are currently not touring, but who they have an album called Learning to Growl. And it's something that when I've had an anxiety attack, I've put on as can be down. It's called Indie Rose. And um, I have two tattoos. I have one tattoo actually inspired by it on my left arm, which is just a geometric rose. And that's how much the song means to me. And it's a genuinely beautiful song. Well, Rachel O'Neill, thanks a million for your time. And, <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, not at all, it's a pleasure. And we will meet again and we'll have, a, we'll have a pint and talk about intergenerational stuff. I'll teach you about Tinder, but not like in that way, but I'll teach you about Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.